You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, a weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 18. Hello, ladies and gents. We are back with another installment, and I'm happy to say my voice is once again functioning in peak form. Thanks for being patient with me last week as I dealt with that cold. I also want to thank everyone who went to check out the GoFundMe campaign for our fellow metamorph, Randall Fulton. As I mentioned at the beginning of last week's show, Randall and his family have had some very bad luck lately on the medical front, and he still needs some help getting back on his feet. He still needs to raise another $445 in order to meet his goal, so if you can spare a few bucks to help him out, please head over to GoFundMe.com slash HelpRandallFund and chip in whatever you can. Now then, let's get back to the story. Today I'm bringing you part three of the Metamore City novel, The Three Graces. In last week's episode, Amelie experienced a spiritual rebirth through the Church of Eternal Brotherhood. Her newfound religious faith led her to begin the process of becoming a priestess, despite her husband Nathan's reservations about the church. Meanwhile, their daughter Natalie grew up in a social setting that was almost completely defined by the church and its affiliates. The summer before Natalie turned 16, though, Amelie informed her of what she thought was tremendous news. The head priestess of the church, Allura, wanted Natalie to become her personal attendant, something that would require Natalie to give up many of the extracurricular activities she cherished. This led to a fight between Nathan and Amelie, as Nathan argued strongly for his daughter's independence, and Amelie insisted that she must learn submission to the church hierarchy. Angrily, Nathan left his wife alone and went to sleep in the guest room. There he was found by Natalie, who confessed that she was scared to become Allura's attendant, because the priestess seemed to control the minds of the girls who served her. Nathan and Natalie would need to continue attending the church in order for Nathan to keep advancing in his law firm, whose senior partners were active in the faith. But Nathan was determined to protect Natalie from anyone who might try to manipulate her, even his own wife. Content Advisory This section contains strong sexual content. It's not appropriate for children, and listener discretion is advised. The Three Graces, a novel of Metamore City, by Chris Lester. Part 3. Twelve. Amelie. As I lay in our bed that night, I clutched Nathan's pillow to my chest and breathed in his scent, trying to understand how things had gone so wrong between us. I had known from the start that Nathan was agnostic, but I could not understand how we could sit together through the same services year after year, and still he felt nothing. The power of the blood was so real, so immediate, so present. It had transformed my life, given me purpose, and a profound sense of the divine mystery that embraced a soul. How could Nathan not feel the same? How could he have hardened his heart so completely? But Natalie... Natalie was even worse. I had raised her from a pup to know the power and presence of the blood. I had taught her the secrets of the divine mystery, 
She knew our holy texts better than many twice her age. But now I could sense her slipping away, following her father into doubt and apathy, and maybe even apostasy. The thought that I could have failed so completely as a mother tore me apart inside. After an hour of tossing and turning, wrestling with these demons, I could bear no more. I needed counsel and clarity. I took the bedside phone from its cradle and dialed the number for Priestess Allura. She picked up on the third ring. Amelie, she said, I thought you were keeping daylight hours. Is everything all right? No, my lady. My voice sounded soft and weak. I hated it. I can't sleep. Are you busy? I... I need to talk to someone. I don't know what to do. I see. Elora's voice was pensive. Certainly you may come over, child. I believe you know the address from my apartment. I do. Thank you, milady. I'll see you soon, child. I dressed and left the apartment quickly and quietly, so as not to disturb Nathan and Natalie. My hands shook as I guided the skimmer to Allura's flat, on the fourth skyway level of Valos Tower. Even at this hour the tower had a valet on duty. Once he had seen my acolyte's cart for the Church of Eternal Brotherhood, he ushered me into the parking garage without question. Elora met me at the door to her apartment. I presume the valet had informed her of my arrival. I bowed at her feet in submission. After placing her hand on my head in blessing, she raised me up again and embraced me. My dear Amelie, she said, cupping my cheek and chin in one gentle hand. Come inside and tell me what cares burden your heart. I followed her into a flat, a tasteful work of understated elegance, and took a seat on a long couch in her living room. She brought me a cup of herbal tea, which I accepted gratefully. The taste and scent of ginger, honey, and lemon began to calm my nerves. I bared my soul to her that night, my deepest and darkest fears, that Nathan would never enter into true communion with the blood, that Natalie would abandon her faith, that, in the end, Nathan would force me to choose between him and the church, and I would lose the dearest love of my life. Priestess Allura listened closely, seated beside me on the couch, almost as if she were my equal and not my head priestess. I looked up at her only occasionally. It seemed easier to say the words when I looked at my hands or into space, but whenever I did look at her, she was watching me intently, her dark eyes full of sympathy. I am glad you could come to me with this, Amelie, she said, when at last I ran out of words. It is a hard thing when our loved ones struggle with unbelief. I nodded wearily. I just wish I could show them the truth, that I could make them feel the power of the blood that I have experienced. Priestess Allura was quiet for a time. Well, she said at last, there may be a way. I looked up at her. Her pale brow was furrowed in thought, her eyes distant. What do you mean, milady? I asked. She looked at me then, and her dark, glittering eyes caught me and held me, as always. You know that the power of the blood flows through me, she said. That is why I can work the divine magic of our priesthood. Yes, of course, my lady. I bowed my head to her. I have felt it from the first day I saw you. 
Yes, you have always been attuned to the blood. It is what makes you such a capable acolyte. But not everyone is so sensitive. Some require a personal connection before they can know the power of the blood. If the power were invested in you, your daughter and your husband would both feel it much more strongly. I sank back into the couch, feeling defeated. My lady, I still have nearly a year before I can join the priesthood. I fear I may lose them long before then. No, of course, Allura agreed. You must act now. But you need not wait until the blood's power flows through you by your own investiture. I can give you a portion of my gift, loan you part of my own power for a time. I stared at her, amazed. No one ever told me of this, I said. Yalura smiled. It isn't something we advertise. This is one of the deeper mysteries, available only to priests and those acolytes we deem trustworthy. I can lend you the power, but you must tell no one how you received it. Such knowledge would be dangerous in the hands of the unworthy. I bowed my head to her. I swear I will tell no one, my lady. I will accept this gift gladly. Very well. Elura rose to her feet and faced me. Kneel before me and lift up your head. I did so. Elura crossed to an altar in the far corner of the room, where she took up an ornamental dagger that sat on a stand there. She bowed before the Ankh on the altar, murmured something under her breath, and crossed back to me. She rolled up the sleeve of her dress, exposing the pale white skin of her arm. She drew the tip of the dagger across the skin of her palm, making a thin, shallow cut. Blood began to ooze out of the wound, filling her cupped hand. You must drink it, she said, no doubt reading the alarm on my face. The power of the blood runs through me, Amelie. Partake of this communion and that power will flow through you as well. I was astonished. In all my years of study and training, the imagery of the blood had always been treated as a metaphor. Yet here I was, watching the actual blood of my priestess filling her palm as she beckoned me to drink it. The idea of drinking blood was not inherently repulsive to me. The curse had made me a vampire bat, after all. Still, the revelation was jarring, as if a member of the Ecclesia were to discover that the Eucharist shared by the priests were literally composed of human flesh and blood. Do not fear, Elora said, smiling down on me. As I said, this is one of the deeper mysteries of our faith. You are ready. Tentatively, I reached up and took my priestess's hand in my own. Then I lowered my face to her palm and lapped at the blood. The effect was like nothing I had experienced before. A rush of euphoria shot through me, as my skin flashed with sensations of hot and cold. I felt new vitality fill my limbs, making them strong. Above all, I felt the presence of Priestess Allura within my own mind, full of love and approval for me, her sworn servant. I felt that she was seeing into me, knowing me, filling me with herself, and it was not an invasion but the purest joy. With the power of the blood that she had lent to me, I felt that I could do anything. I looked up at Allura, and I could see her aura, like dark fire around her. She looked like a goddess, beautiful and mighty and terrible. Then I looked down and saw the same aura surrounding me, weaker than hers, but there just the same. Take this blessing, child, 
Elora said. Show your family the power and wonder of the blood. May it restore their faith. I bowed to her, prostrating myself completely at her feet. It shall be done, my lady. I returned to our apartment and immediately went to the guest room. The door was locked. I turned the knob only a little harder than usual. There was a loud snap, and the lock broke open easily. I opened the door to find Nathan and Natalie on the bed, sitting up in alarm. Natalie screamed. Wait, it's all right, I said, in what I hoped was a soothing tone. I extended my hands toward them, palms out to reassure them, and I felt a measure of the power within me stretching out to encompass them. I could still feel Priestess Allura within me, guiding my hands, and with her direction I shaped the flow of that power in ways I could only dimly understand. Calm down, my dears, just calm down. At once their eyelids became heavy, and they slumped back limply against the headboard. They were not asleep, but they both appeared to be sedated. Good, I said. Now, can you hear me, my dears? Yes, Mama, Natalie said, her voice slurring as if she were in a dream. Thank you, Kit. Nathan, love, can you hear me? Yes, dear, Nathan said, just as slowly. Very well, I said. I want you both to listen carefully. Priestess Laura has given me this gift so that you will both know that the blood is real and that the church's words are true. The power of the blood joins me to Priestess Laura, and that same power joins you both to me. I felt Laura's gentle leading in my thoughts, and I drew closer, sitting on the bed and taking Nathan and Natalie's hands into my own. I looked deeply into their eyes, and they looked back at me, open, waiting. Allura did something else through our connection, and then I could feel the echoes of Nathan and Natalie's own feelings, fear, awe, and confusion. But over all of it lay the calm Allura and I had given them, and underneath lay the core of love that united us as a family. I need you both to trust me, I said. I am learning so many new things, my dears, and tonight Allura showed me one of the deeper mysteries. I am so close to understanding everything— If the blood can do this through me now, imagine what it can do when I am a full priestess. Nathan and Natalie said nothing. The calm I had given them still held sway over their hearts. I squeezed both their hands tightly. I know I have been busy, I said, turning my eyes especially to Natalie. I haven't given you the attention you deserve, my kit, and for that I am truly sorry. I promise to do better. I love you, Natalie and I want what's best for you. I love you too, Mama, Natalie said. She still sounded like she was speaking through a dream. I know you do, Kit. I turned then to Nathan. My love, I'm sorry that I couldn't find the words to say to help you feel what I have felt. You have been wandering in the lonely cold of doubt, and I have not known how to help you into the place of life and warmth. Again at Allura's urging, I placed my hand over his heart. Come home now, my love. Feel the welcome of the blood calling you home. I felt the power of the blood stirring within me, reaching out. I felt Nathan's heartbeat quicken. His eyes snapped open wide, and I stared into them, holding his gaze as Allura had so often held mine. The blood is the life, I said. The blood is the life, he whispered. 
The blood binds our hearts one to another, I said. The blood binds us, Nathan agreed. I splayed out my fingers across his chest, pressing in harder with the fingertips. I could not have explained why. I was guided by a will greater than my own. I felt the power flowing out of me, filling Nathan's body, binding itself to the centers of mystic power that ran through his abdomen, chest, and head. I could not even say how I knew these things were happening. Unlike my daughter, I was no wizard. But I knew. The flow of power closed itself off then. I felt it as the sudden absence of a tingling heat that had filled my hands, arms, and chest. The connection to Priestess Allura grew quiet as well. I folded my hands in my lap and waited, watching my husband and my daughter as they slowly returned to full awareness. What... what just happened? Natalie rubbed at her eyes and looked around the guest room in confusion. I'm... I'm not sure, Nathan said. It felt like I was dreaming. He looked up at me then, his bat-like ears twitching forward in sudden attention. Amelie, love, did we have a fight? I smiled at him. What would we have fought about, my darling? He frowned and shook his head. I... it was something about Natalie and Priestess Allura... At dinner we discussed how Natalie is to be Priestess Allura's attendant, I said. I wouldn't have called it an argument. Would you, Natalie? Natalie beamed at me. No, Mama. It will be a great honor to serve the priestess. That's right, Git, I said warmly. There is so much she will teach you. The blood flows through her and makes its will known to us. And the blood is the life, Natalie said happily. Nathan and I echoed her together. The blood is the life, we said. 13. Natalie My memories of that spring and summer are... fuzzy. I remember being happy, sort of. Mom and Dad didn't fight, so that was good. I worked hard on all my classes, and I passed the novitiate exams at my wizard's guild. My guildmaster told me later he was surprised when my parents said I was going on a leave of absence. Apparently he tried to convince me to stay, at least until I told him I was going to serve Priestess Allura, and then he stopped arguing about it. I don't remember any of that. Being the priestess's attendant was like living inside a dream. You know how in dreams you sort of wander around and things happen and you sort of think you understand them when they do, but then you look back and you try to make sense of it, and you realize you can't put all the pieces together? That was my life. It wasn't a bad dream, not a nightmare, but it was definitely weird, and I never felt like I was in control of any of it. Huh. Maybe that's why I decided to take up a nyromancy. Once I finally woke up... I never wanted to feel that way again. Some fragments from that dream I do remember. I carried the sacraments to the altar before service and cleaned up afterwards. In between, I stood off to the side and watched, listening to Allura's sermons. I don't remember anything she said, but just the sound of her voice made me feel content. I did the priestess's laundry, cleaned her office, 
brought her water when she was thirsty, fetched books and scrolls from the library for her studies. I knelt at her feet when she met with the other priests. She had this little pillow in the conference room that was always there waiting for me, and I would rest my knees on it. She would run her fingers through my fur as she talked, scratching my ears like a dog. The weird thing was that I liked it, at least at the time. Priestess Allura had other servants, too, grown-up ones. They mostly worked around the temple during the week, doing chores like sweeping and vacuuming and tending the garden. They were mostly young and human and good-looking. They wore white clothes, and not very many of them. The priests mostly acted like they were invisible, but sometimes Allura would send me to fetch one of them and bring them to her office. They would all react the same way. As soon as they saw the priestess, they would go over and kneel in front of her, pressing their foreheads into the floor. Then Allura would send me off to do something else for a while. When I came back, the servants would be lying on the floor, or flopped in a chair or across a couch or something. They were sleepy and had a hard time walking, and they didn't say much. I sort of knew what drugs were. Not really, but the priests would talk to us about people who stuck needles in their veins and polluted the blood inside themselves with poison. It was a terrible sin. I wondered if the servants were doing something like that, but Allura didn't seem to be mad at them. She just told me to take them back to their little rooms, give them food and water, and then let them sleep. Looking back on all of this now, it feels ridiculous that I didn't realize what was going on. Like I said, though, everything was dreamlike and fuzzy, and it was so hard to think for myself. Following instructions was so much easier, and when Priestess Allura looked into my eyes, I forgot about doing anything else. I've never been raped. I hope to all the gods I never will be. But when I hear people talk about what it's like especially when it's someone close to you that does it. I always think about that summer. I can't quite figure out why. I'm not sure I want to. Hey there, folks. This is Chris. Um, I'm going to have to cut this episode into two pieces this week. One, because this episode was really long, it was almost two hours long, uncut. And second, I just didn't have as much time this weekend as I usually do to work on this thing. So here's the deal. I'm dropping part one of this episode tonight. You're going to get the second half of it on Wednesday. So I apologize for the delay in production, but I figured it would be better to get half of something than all of nothing. Thank you very much for your support, and I will talk to you guys again on Wednesday.